Acts, book of Acts, chapter number 6, Acts chapter number 6, when you find your place, you can stand with me please, stretch your legs, respect the word of God, several folks visiting with us tonight, good to see you, thanks for being here, amen. Brother Gene, see you've got some family members over here. Amen. Welcome back, Calvary. Brother, Brother Sasser, got his whole clan with him tonight. Praise the Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 12, if you're there, say amen. Verse 1, and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, did I give you all the wrong chapter? Huh? What did I say? Y'all ought to know what I'm going to say. Y'all ought to be so in tune, you know exactly where I'm going. Amen. Acts 6.1, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and a bunch of other guys. <laughs> Verse 6, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, some of our men had the privilege of going down with me to the men's conference a week or so ago. And one of the preachers there, Brother Brown, on Saturday, he preached from these verses. I had already been working on this message, and I said, well, I'm not going to let the fact that he preached it steal my thunder, uh, but it was double confirmation that I was following the leadership of the Lord in some things that I feel God wanting to implement in the ministry here, and uh, I chose to do that tonight, communicate that to you, some things we're going to do different, some things God's helped me with, showed me that you are going to be excited to hear about and know about, and so when you have a seat here, just a second, put your seat belts on. And we're going to dive right into this. Amen. Lord, we ask you now to give us strength and power and liberty to communicate to our church, your church. Lord, the, the vision, the burden that's been on my heart for several, several weeks. And Lord, I've just got perfect peace tonight about communicating this to the church. And I pray that you would help us be of all, uh, all of one mind and one accord. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, if you know anything at all about the book of Acts, there has been a, an exponential growth that is taking place in this early church at Jerusalem. Chapter 1 tells us there was 120 names. Chapter 1, verse 15, 120 that were together in the upper room when uh, the, 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 the Holy Ghost fell in chapter 2, and uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Peter stood up and preached uh, at Pentecost, and the Bible tells us, chapter 2, verse 41, that 3,000 got saved and were added to the church. And then at the end of chapter 2, the Bible says the Lord added to the church daily 
such as should be saved. So they're experiencing uh, an enormous amount, of, an overwhelming amount of growth. When you take a church from 120 to 3,000 in one church service, that's a jump. Yeah. Talk about growing pains, they had them. Then you get over to chapter number 4, and verse number 4, the Bible says, Many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. So the church is exploding, okay? They've gone from additions, they've gone to, uh, to multiplication, and uh, many more of them were saved in chapter number 4, verse number 32. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart, and so this thing, this thing is just exploding. I mean, we don't really know. We can only guess at how many were in the church at Jerusalem by the time we get to chapter number 6, but I think it'd be safe to say we're probably in the neighborhood of 10,000 people possibly more that had gotten saved and uh, man can you imagine these people from all these different nationalities all these different walks of life chapter 2 when they were preaching there was 16 different nations represented and uh, that were saved that day they heard them preaching in their own tongue wherein they were born and it gives a list in chapter 2 verse 9 down through chapter uh, verse number 11 of, uh, of different groups of nationalities of people that got saved that were part of this church you can't get more of a diverse group of people than what was in the early church. I remember when I first came off the mission field, if that's me, just let me know and I can change mics if it's, if it's me popping. It shouldn't be, but if it is, I'll fix it. Uh, but when I came off the mission field in, uh, in 2006, my family and I were serving there and took a church in South Carolina. Uh, I don't, I'll tell a lot of personal stories for the simple fact our services are live streamed and a lot of people can hear my preaching even though they're not here. Uh, but uh, one of the things that we encountered uh, I, don't feel, I don't know why I feel led to say this, but I feel led to say it. I didn't touch on it this morning. It was, in my, it was in our text this morning where it talked about where Paul was preaching on Mars Hill and he's, he's talked about he hath made of one blood. That's in Acts 17, verse 26. He hath made of one blood all nations for men to dwell on. All right, And so uh, I, I didn't want to get distracted this morning and get on all that racism stuff, but uh, we're, we're all one blood. I think what I said, that's what God said. Uh, but anyhow, I uh, came off the field and uh, had been at our church there for a number of years and just felt impressed to start a bus ministry. I never had had a, been a part of a bus ministry. I'd never worked in one. I never had even been a, a member of a church that had a bus ministry. But I wanted to start a bus ministry, and we did. Well, when we did, we started going out into the neighborhoods. We started going out into the, into the communities, and we went in the rural towns, and we went down into Section 8 housing. We went everywhere and started bringing people to church. Well, I didn't know it, but they had not allowed black people in the church at that church before I got there. Now, they didn't tell me that. I mean, I was a missionary in Africa. I don't think I'd have left Africa if I'd have known that, but they left that part out. God didn't want me to know it because God wanted me to fix it. We started a bus ministry, started busing people in from, from every color and every creed, and man, it, it split the church right there. I mean, it tore the church all to pieces. I'll never forget one of, the, one, of the, one, of the, one of the older men in the church, he sat down with me, and he said, he said, you're going to lose all of us old people if you keep letting them black people come to this church. I said, well, it was nice knowing you. It was nice knowing you. And go to church somewhere else, amen, because we're going to keep running buses. Anyhow. I just had to throw that in there, didn't I? I just had to. Because this church in Acts 2 was, I believe, God's template for how the local church is supposed to be. There was people there from all nations and every kindred and every tribe. 
And you say, oh, I don't like that. Well, you ain't going to be happy in heaven because there's going to be a bunch of people there that ain't the same color as you. They ain't going to look like you. They're going to be in heaven. Amen. Every tongue, every tribe, every, every kindred, every nation. Amen. Now, this church has got, got, but they got growing pains. And it kind of is what's playing into the story here when we get to chapter number 6. Well, the Bible says there was a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. They had a little bit of, little bit of uh, schisms going on there. Right? They had the Gentiles, and then they, uh, then they had the, 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 the Hebrews, and they're all in the same church. If you're taking notes, let's write this down, number one. There we see the unacceptable situation. The unacceptable situation is in verse number one. Y'all didn't get nervous, did you? Me talking about all that. I'm loose as a goose up here. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. All right, so they started to be division. There started to be some murmuring. Murmuring is always bad. I've yet to find a positive example in the Bible where murmuring is a good thing. If, if people are murmuring, we got a problem. And the problem is not the murmuring. It's whatever they're murmuring about. You need to figure that out. The murmuring is a, is a side effect of it. There's a heart problem somewhere. People murmur. That's what they do. Bellyache. Complain. And we have a problem here. And the problem was the widows were being neglected. We don't have to guess what the problem is. The Bible tells us their widows were neglected. It didn't say they felt neglected. It says they were neglected. The widows were neglected. Now, murmuring in a church is a byproduct of something else more serious. The murmuring was not the problem. The murmuring was the manifestation of the problem. The problem was the widows were being neglected. And there's no question at all in the Bible that the widows are supposed to be taken care of. In fact, in James chapter 1, verse number 27, one of the indications of a pure religion is visiting the widows in their affliction. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So you show me, I start to say a church, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back it up and I'm going to say, show me a Christian that doesn't have a passion and a heart and a love for the senior saints and the widows. Mm. You, you got a pure religion problem. See, I, I'm, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I can feel it now. Easter Sunday, I just had to go there. See, we want to be a part of a church that takes care of the widows. But when's the last time you offered to do something for the widows? Because pure religion is not a big umbrella you crawl up under. We're talking about you. Let me just let that sink in a minute. Pure religion and the undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the widows in their affliction. I wish I could take a picture of some of y'all's faces. It's like you're seeing that verse for the first time. We have at this church, thanks be to God, we were able just a few months ago to bring Brother Burner on part-time, on staff, as a senior citizen's pastor. 
I mean, he's working way more hours than he's getting paid for. I can promise you that. I get text messages that long of all the people he's visiting and calling and checking on and seeing about. But I can't find anywhere in the book of James where you get to cash in on Brother Burner visiting with us. The problem was they weren't being seen about. And I believe with all my heart that the church has to see about the widows and take care of the widows, and they were not doing that. So they had an unacceptable situation. Now what I'd like to do, if I could, is I'd like to take liberty and just kind of merge a couple of other concepts and truths along with this for the simple fact that it says that they were being neglected in the daily ministration, meaning that wasn't the only thing that the church was doing every day. That was just part of it. That was falling through the cracks. There was daily ministration going on, but the widows were being neglected. They were so busy doing all the other stuff that you have to do during the day to keep the church going that somehow or another the widows just got, kept getting pushed to the side. So preacher, what are you saying? Well, I want to just expound for just a few minutes and emphasize that there's a lot that has to be done on a daily basis for a church to continue to thrive and to grow and to flourish and to minister to the needs of their people and to the community. And a lot of church members don't really give that part of it a second thought. They come in, enjoy the service, and leave. And we want you to enjoy the service. We even provide live stream for people that don't even come to be able to enjoy the service. And many do. We get people from all over the United States watching the service. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot that goes on behind the scenes at Calvary Baptist Church to keep this church running. It's called daily ministration. It's a seven-day-a-week ministry and there are a lot of things that go on that not only was the neglecting of the widows unacceptable but there's other things that for me is unacceptable I don't want to go to a church that's got nasty floors I don't want to go to a church that's got nasty restrooms I personally like paper towels and toilet paper in the bathroom personally now, that's just me I know I'm weird but I like that kind of stuff you know just Frills, just frivolous stuff. I'm weird like that. Paper towels. You ever go to wash your hands and you turn around and there's no paper towels? And you're standing there and you're like, what am I supposed to do? And then a, a brother comes in the bathroom and you just wipe your hands on him and then, you go, and then you're good to go. But if, if somebody don't come in, you're stuck with wet hands. I'm trying to make some of y'all laugh because y'all are tensing up on me. You know where I'm going with this message already. By the way, the title of the message is The Power of Proper Priorities. I guess y'all figured that out already because it's on the screen. <laughs> I do believe that there's priorities in the ministry, and we're going to get to that, but I just wanted to just touch on that daily ministration because there's a lot of people that only come to church on Sunday. They don't think about all the stuff that's done the rest of the week. But you'd notice it if, you, if it didn't get done. And, amen. And, and for me, it's unacceptable. Going to a dirty church, grass not getting cut, buildings not being maintained. Our guys this week were touching up and painting and, and, and replacing that fence out front. Won't that look nice out there? Got new water fountains. Isn't that nice? More new water fountains. And um, I mean, they, 
they needed to be replaced. The other ones were leaking and, and uh, I mean, that kind of stuff to some people is not a big deal. But to me, I like, I like stuff to be nice. Well, it doesn't get nice by itself and it don't stay nice by itself. It requires a lot of people doing a lot of work. I'm going somewhere with this. Hang on there just for a second. I think if we're going to have vans and have buses, they ought to run. Hey, man, not have smoke boiling out the back, fumigating, killing all the mosquitoes. I think we ought to have reliable transportation. I think, I think the lights ought to work. Air conditioning, heat ought to work. And I think that people ought to be able to be seen about and their spiritual needs be met during the week on a daily basis. So they had an unacceptable situation. There was daily ministration specifically, more specifically, the widows being neglected. There were things going on in the church that was not acceptable. This was a problem. So we see the unacceptable situation. Secondly, write this down. We see the unreasonable service. The unreasonable service. Look at verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It's not reason. It's unreasonable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, you read verse number 2 half a dozen times and you'll, you'll understand that the 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said it is not reason that we should leave the word of God, meaning that apparently, according to verse 2, it was the general consensus of the church that it was the apostles' place to meet that need. Everybody just kind of assumed that the apostles ought to be visiting all the shut-ins and all the widows. Because they brought everybody in and said, that just doesn't make sense for us to do that. Now stay with me. Preacher, I thought you just said, pure religion undefiled before God is to visit the fathers. I did. I did. I'm glad you were listening. But I'm telling you what they said in verse number two. It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. People were looking at them as if it was their job, their duty, their responsibility alone to meet the needs and take care of the widows. Now there was a problem in the church. The widows were being neglected. But two wrongs do not make a right. The apostles said, we have a problem. The widows are being neglected. But if we're the ones that has to do all the visiting, we now have another problem. Is that what they said? It's not reason. It would be completely unreasonable for a church of 10,000 people to rely on 12 apostles to visit all the widows when we're supposed to be spending time in the Word. And you can go check on the widows. There is such a thing as creating more problems by incorrectly addressing the problem. Many pastors' first instinct is to address the murmuring, the murmuring, the murmuring. Sister so-and-so's complaining. Brother so-and-so's complaining. People are complaining. Well, just make it stop. Let's just do this to make it stop. Let's get, let's get everybody happy again. But if you're not careful in your effort to try and fix a problem, you will create another whole set of problems that, quite frankly, is far worse than murmuring or neglecting the widows. And that is neglecting the word. Listen to me. The approach should be to fix the problem. Serving tables is a temporary solution. Hmm? 
Notice the apostles' words. It is not reason. We would say reasonable. Or we would say it's completely unreasonable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. You're going to come to church Sunday needing a word from God, and we're not going to have it because we were so busy out take, checking on the shut-ins that we didn't have time to pray and study. And that's unreasonable. I thought about a story in Exodus chapter 17. I want you to just put a, a ribbon or a bookmarker in Acts. Turn with me over to Exodus chapter number 17. Lord, Lord gave me this, this Old Testament illustration. And I just, when I saw it, I was reminded again of the proper priorities and how important it is. Look at Exodus chapter 17. Verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, Choose us out men and go fight. Go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him. Is everybody there? And fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. They took a stone and put it under him. And he sat there on And Aaron and Hur stayed up uh, his hands, the one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, a couple things I want to point out about this story. Moses is the leader. Moses would be the equivalent in the New Testament of being the pastor. He was the under-shepherd. He was the one that God handpicked to lead his people. And Moses goes to Joshua and says, we've got a battle. We've got a fight coming up. I want you to go pick some men, and I want you to go down there and fight them. Now, I'm going to go up here on top of this hill while you go down there and fight. And the Bible tells us that Joshua did, as Moses had said, and fought with Amalek. Hand-to-hand -hand combat, swords, spears, shields, blood and guts everywhere, dead people laying everywhere. They're fighting. He's putting his life on the line. And he looks up, and Moses is sitting down on a stone. He's got people on both sides of him, Aaron and her, holding his hands up. Now, if Joshua had been the average church member, here's what he'd have said. Here I am out here putting my life on the line. I'm getting my hands dirty. I'm about, I'm about to risk my life. I could end up getting killed out here. And look at the preacher. He's up there sitting down. What he didn't realize is that Moses was fighting too. He was fighting the battle as much as they were. In fact, the Bible says that when Moses' hands came down, Amalek prevailed. And when his hands went up, the people of God prevailed. Not once did Joshua say, well, man, that ain't right. He's got us out here killing ourselves and, 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 and risking our life. And him sitting up there on that stone, he's got two people holding his hands up. Man, I wish I had his job. What he didn't realize was even though his job was important, Moses' job was more important. More important. And here, here's, what I'm, here's the burden that's been on my heart to communicate to our church as we come into this get plugged in emphasis in the month of April because it just makes sense for the people in the church to take care 
of the daily ministration of things that they can do to free up the man of God to do what only the pastor can do. That's what they were saying in verse number two. They said it is absolutely unreasonable that we leave the word of God and, and prayer staying on our face before God, studying the scripture so that we can feed the flock. It's unreasonable for us to leave that and go do something that somebody else could do. It's interesting to me there's two kinds of ministry in this story. In verse number one, we see the daily ministration. You see that? In verse 4, you see the ministry of the word. This is the same word, but two completely different emphasis. One's just daily tasks. One's daily ministration. They just kind of used a catch-all phrase, serving tables. It's where we get the word deacon from, if you look it up in the Greek. The word deacon literally means somebody that serves tables. That's what the word means. I can't, I can't speak Greek. I know a little Greek. He runs a diner over here in Dundalk. But the Greek word for deacon is serving tables. Now you go down south, some of those Southern Baptist churches, they think the word deacon means pope. They think deacon means the man that's holding the leash to the choke collar that's on the pastor. But that's not in the Bible. The deacon is a, is a man that serves and waits tables. It's the idea, the visual image is of a waiter, a server, with a towel over his arm, checking on people, waiting on people, serving people. That's the word that's used here. It's kind of a catch-all word. What am I saying? I'm saying that it is completely unreasonable for the pastor to do what church members can do when the church members cannot do what the pastor is supposed to do. I just think it's amazing. They use the word reason and they use the word serving. In the same verse, he said, it's an unreasonable service. It's just, it's cockeyed. It's backwards. And to be honest, I have been unreasonable more times than I care to admit. I've chosen the unreasonable service Neglected the prayer and the word many times. My problem is I enjoy the daily ministration. That's the truth. I enjoy cutting grass. I enjoy blowing off the parking lot. I enjoy running a vacuum cleaner. I enjoy taking out the trash. I enjoy doing stuff around the church. A little bit too much, probably. One of the things the Lord has had to deal with me about, we've had hours of conversations in, in my office talking about this with staff. I said, I've got to let go of this stuff. I've got to let go of it. Now, so for some of you, it, it, somebody, not some of you, but some people may think, well, that's just pastor trying to get out of doing stuff. I'd rather do that. I'd rather get up in the morning and put my boots and blue jeans and a nail apron on and run a chop saw and a nail gun all day tomorrow than I had to do what pastors are supposed to do. But here's the problem. For me to do that would be completely unreasonable. And I, I do a lot around here, and I don't plan on stop doing stuff. I just can't do as much. 
I love using my talents and my abilities for the Lord. But here's the problem. Not only when I'm doing it, am I depriving somebody else of the blessing of getting to do it, but when I do it, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So I'm, I'm confessing to the church that I enjoy the daily ministration. I like getting my hands dirty. I like going home tired, physically tired, not just mentally tired. I'd love to be the Joshua out there swinging the sword. Let somebody else sit on top of the hill and intercede. I'd love that. But I'm, I'm, I'm the one that's got to hold my hands up. For me to leave the word of God to serve tables is not reason. Because the power from God that this church needs to move forward in this filthy, perverted, ungodly generation only comes from me spending time on my face before God and spending time in the word. And if I'm not doing that, I'm shortchanging this whole church. I put this in my notes, serving tables might make me more personable but it doesn't make me more powerful. Brother Brown brought it out down at the men's meeting that a lot of pastors forsake the word and the prayer because they know that when they're out serving the tables and, 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 and shaking hands with everybody and interacting with everybody, that it makes them popular and people like them. That may be the case with some people. I don't have that desire, that need. I don't feel like that's even an issue here. I just do what needs to be done. Sometimes I do it because I want to. Sometimes I do it because it's quicker for me to do it than just explain to somebody else how to do it. I'm not talking down to people. It's just sometimes it's quicker for me to just do it myself. And then later, at the end of the day, I think to myself, I could have had so-and-so to do that. I could have had so-and-so do that. And that would have freed me up a little bit to do what I need to be doing, what's important for me to be doing. Also, I feel like on a, on, a, on a personal note, just insert this here for the maybe one person that needs to hear this. I don't think it's reasonable for me to forsake my wife and kids to help somebody else's wife and kids. I know a lot of pastors that have lost their family because they neglected their family for the sake of their church. And I have no intentions of doing that. I don't believe you have to choose. I believe you can balance it. I know a lot of men of God that lost their kids. And they were, they were, they were involved in the ministry too much. Just in case there's anybody here that don't know, I'll just give you a quick update. I try to keep my evening counseling sessions to an absolute minimum. I'm here at the church a minimum 55 hours a week. Minimum. Sometimes 60, 65 hours a week. Here. On the property. My truck is there. I'm here. 55 to 65 hours a week. I'm not a workaholic. I just love what I do. I love being here. And that don't count Saturdays. I spend most of my Saturdays at home preparing for Sunday. And that's six to eight hours a day on Saturday preparing for Sunday. And I love it. 
But I'm not going to give up my evenings with my family and spend it with somebody else's unless it's just absolutely necessary. And if it's absolutely necessary, I have zero problem doing that. I'm on call 24-7. I want, I want y'all to hear my heartbeat tonight. I don't, I'm not trying to tell you not to call me at night or if you need me at night not to call me. I have no problem with legitimate needs. Here's what I got a problem with. Stay with me now. I got a problem if people will take off work to go to the dentist, take off work to go to the chiropractor, take off work to go to the eye doctor, but it won't take off work to go deal with a spiritual need when the pastor's in his office. And you want to wait till I get home with my family and then you want me to take a couple hours out of my night to come talk to you. When we can talk in here, I'm here 55 hours a week. Maybe we can figure out how to carve it into that time. Because my wife needs me and my kids need me and I need my wife and I need my kids. And I don't want to ever take the chance. I grew up in the ministry, okay? I'm not a novice. I've seen, I've seen this done every, every way that there is to do it. And I like the way I'm doing it. Pour my heart and soul into this church seven days a week. But when I'm at home with my family, I want to be with my family. And if you need to call me, call me. If I, if I can talk to you, I'll answer the phone. If I can't, I don't answer the phone. But I almost always answer the phone. Sometimes I answer the phone in the middle of a conversation with my wife. In the middle of my conversation with my kids. Because I love this church and I love you. What I'm talking about is this. Paul said, Paul said, I, am, I will gladly spend and be spent. Is that what he said? And here's what, Brother Bittner, here's what the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me about at the men's meeting. Just because you've got a pastor that will gladly spend and be spent don't mean you have to let him. Look at what they said. Look at what they said in verse number four. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer. A true God-called preacher has no problem giving of themselves. The problem we have sometimes is figuring out the priorities of where to give ourselves. So we see the unreasonable service. Thirdly, we see the unanimous solution. Is everybody okay? Did that, did that, did that come out right? It would kill me if somebody says, I need the preacher and he's not there for me. That's, I, that's, I don't want that to be said about me. I don't want that to be said about, from my wife or kids either. Daddy, Daddy wasn't there for us. Number three, the unanimous solution. Look at verse number three. They said, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and business, wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. Now, I, the more I've studied this and the more I've meditated on it, it's very clear to me that there's no possible way seven men took care of all the widows in that church. They were over the business. If I understand leadership, they picked out seven men that they could appoint over the business of making sure the widows got seen about. Not seven men to take care of the widows for a 10,000 member church. We've got a lot of member, uh, widows in this church. Do you know off the top of your head how many widows? I'm not talking about senior saints. we got two type sheets of senior citizens. It's more than he can handle. I'm telling you, we got a lot of seniors in this church and I love every one of them. And for years it weighed on me that I felt like they wasn't getting called and checked on as much as they should. 
Many times they would even say something like, Pastor, I just hadn't seen you in a while. I feel horrible. Man, there just ain't enough for me to spread around. And then we got Brother, Bit, uh, uh, Brother Burner over here. But then as I'm studying this, I realize it's not Brother Burner's job to see about the widows. It's his job to oversee the business. Everybody in here ought to be doing it. If I read James correctly. Am I still in the book or am I, have I gone off the left jaw? Pure religion is visiting the fatherless and the widows, which means everybody should be doing it, which means he should be overseeing it and making sure that the same widow don't get visited four times in the same night, but that they all get visited. Exactly. And he took, he took that off of my plate, but he didn't take it off of yours. The unanimous solution. Let's pick seven men that we may appoint over this business. Verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They say we know the widows are important. We know they need to be seen about. They need to be visited. They need, they need to be, make sure they're checked on. But, but, but if we do that ourselves, then who's going to pray for the church? Who's going to pray a wall of prayer around the people? Who's going to get in the Word and study and get up messages so they can stand up in the pulpit at church time and feed the flock of God? If we could let you handle that, then we could do this because you and you and you and you and you can't do this job. Only I can. And look at what it says in verse number five. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Unanimous. 10,000 plus members. And they all said, that's what I'm talking about. That's a great idea. They were in complete agreement that the man of God needed to be doing his job and they needed to be the one serving tables. Solution was brilliant. It was a win, win, win. The widows were protected. The workers were productive. And the word was preeminent. That's a win, win, win. Some of y'all are afraid to say amen. You're afraid you're going to be recorded on the, on the CD saying amen. I love visiting shut-ins. I've said it before. I love I say this respectfully. I just love old people. Amen. I love hanging out with old people. Yes, sir. I sat there one day visiting this, this elderly lady. While I was talking, she had a bowl of peanuts sitting there, and I was just eating peanuts, and we was talking. Man, before I realized it, I ate the whole bowl. I felt so bad. I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry sitting here talking. I said, I ate every one of these peanuts. She said, that's okay, son. Since I got these false teeth, all I can do is suck the chocolate off of them. <laughs> I love fellowshipping with old people and listening to their stories. Talk about what God did in their life years gone by. And... and what God has used them to do, Sister Pencil, many of y'all don't know Sister Dot Pencil. She's been in the hospice for a year and a half, at least. It was well before COVID when she went into the... 
And she had dementia real bad, Alzheimer's real bad, and we'd go and she didn't. She called me Jack Caldwell one time. But back in the day, she was a pillar in this church. And her husband was a pillar in this church. And we buried a lot of our dear, precious, elderly saints of God. And I'm glad I got to know them. I was putting around in the garage yesterday. My golf clubs was there. Somebody said, you golf? I said, I hadn't golfed at one time in six and a half years. If you could call it that. I hacked at a golf ball for a few hours. And right next to my golf clubs, Brother Rolf, there was another bag of golf clubs. And I said, I forgot I had them. Jimmy Ryder gave me those. Whole bag of golf clubs full of golf balls, all the bags full of golf balls and tees and drivers and putter. And I just pulled them out and I looked at it. And I remember the day Jimmy Ryder pulled up right outside my office and knocked on my door. I said, Preacher, I got something for you. And dug a, bo- a, a, a bag of golf clubs out of the back of his car. He said, you want these? I said, well, I've got some clubs. He said, I don't need them. You want them? I said, well, if you're giving them away, I'll take them. They're sitting in my garage. These older saints of God, I love visiting them. Don't think I don't. But every hour that I'm out visiting the widows and the shut-ins, there's one less hour that I'm getting to spend in the Word of God to get up here and feed the flock of God. Let's get to number four. Write this down. We see the unprecedented success. Verse 6, whom they set before the apostles, when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Look at verse 7. The word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. The great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Three subpoints right quick. Because of the biblical reasonable solution that they came up with, everybody was a winner. Everybody. The church experienced a new level of growth and impact in their community. The widows were not murmuring. The church members were not sitting home idle, doing nothing, and the pastor was not forsaking the word and the prayer. There was only one outcome for this solution, and that was unprecedented success in the church. And I love the way it's worded. We see the success of the scriptures, first of all. The word of God increased. What a statement. The word of God increased. Not the preaching increased. Not the teaching increased. The word of God increased. Is that what your Bible says? Why would it say that? Why would it say it like that? The word of God increased because the preachers were studying and digging and meditating and preparing the messages. And the word of God increased. That's what the Bible says. The messages got deeper. The truth got more powerful. The teaching was more solid and more biblical. A lot of preachers have shallow messages because they don't spend enough time in the Word. If I hear it once a week, I hear it ten times a week. Preacher, I don't know how in the world you got all that out of that passage. And I say, well, it didn't just happen. It took hours studying and meditating and and, and cross-referencing and The word of God increased because these men were able to give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Imagine Calvary Baptist Church winning if the word of God could increase around here. Imagine. 
Imagine the quality of the messages if the pastor could study without having to stop to do petty tasks. Imagine the power in the preaching if the pastor could study and pray more and serve tables less. Imagine the success of the scriptures. Then there was a success in soul winning. Look at what it says. The number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. There it is again, just multiplication. This church is exploding. Why? Because the pastors are given the right amount of time to study and prayer, and the church members are taking care of the daily ministration. And it's just a given. People get saved when the pastor prays and studies. People get saved when the church members get involved in the daily ministration. Imagine if the pastor could study on Saturday and the church went soul winning on Saturday. Pastor, Saturday's my only day off. Imagine if the church brought visitors so the pastor could have lost people to preach to. See the success of the scriptures, the success of the soul winning, and then we see the success of the servants. Stephen, verse 8, full of faith and power did great wonders. What happened to Stephen? What happened to Stephen in verse 8 that wasn't happening in verse 1? Oh, I don't know. Let's just take a stab at it. He started serving in the daily ministration and freed up the preacher. And the preacher wasn't the only one that had more power. Come on now. The ones doing the daily ministration got a double dose of power. See, that's kind of where we're going with this get plugged in. Get plugged in. You take a vacuum cleaner and set it over there and don't plug it in, it's just a real expensive paperweight. But if you plug it in to the power source, that thing can get the job done. Well, guess what you, as a church member, when you get plugged in, God can do all kinds of things with you, but not if you're not plugged in. You say, Richard, I'm here. You're here. But are you serving in the daily ministration? That's the only question you can answer. I just wonder this evening, we're coming into the get plugged in emphasis. We're gonna, we've already got it, an online survey. For those of you that have the capability and the know-how to do that, we'll have a paper version for those of you that don't. There's not gonna be any excuses. Everybody that's a member of this church is gonna get the get plugged in survey. Because my goal is for every member of this church to find something in this church to do for God. It'll help you, it'll help this church, and it'll help me. Amen. And I won't feel guilty. I won't feel guilty. Sitting in my office and thinking, man, something needs to be done. I need to go do that right quick. When I could just have a phone call and say, brother, could you take care of that for me? I'm working. I'm working on my message and I really just don't want to unplug it. I just won't work, keep working on this. If you could take care of that. And we already are doing that. We're already making a lot of changes around here. I did something pretty drastic. God worked on my heart and Brother Adriel's heart. Brother Adriel's been involved in bus ministry for years. Every Sunday morning on buses for years. 
And I told him, I said, I need somebody to make sure all this stuff gets done before church on Sunday morning so I ain't got to think about it. I'm sitting there in my office and I'm trying to study and all of a sudden I have, I, I have this anxiety attack. Oh, I don't, what about this? What about that? And I get up and start walking through the property and walking through the church and the fellowship hall and trash cans are full and the floors are dirty and cardboard boxes piled up by the door. And He said, that's not a big deal. It's not a big deal to you. It's a big deal to me. And if it's a big deal to me, it ought to be a big deal to you. And I made a list. He had to step down from the bus ministry. I gave him two pages of stuff that I need done every Sunday morning before church starts. And I, I think I got it all, but I'm not sure. He's looking at me. He, he was tired when church started this morning. <laughs> and for the first time in years, I sat in there this morning and I didn't have to walk out of my office one time to check the temperature, the lights, the doors, make sure we got welcome packets, make sure we got cups back there for first-time visitors, make sure that everything was ready like I've been doing for years on Sunday morning. It was a blessing. My mind was as free and as clear, and I was able to stand up here on an Easter Sunday morning with visitors everywhere and preach with liberty and power and souls got saved, and it was a group effort. It was a group effort. So what I want to say to you tonight in closing is this. This get plugged in, it'll help you, it'll help our church, and it will help me. If you can find something to do, something you're good at, something you're capable of, I think we could all serve tables. Amen? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Musicians are coming. You might want to just slip out of your seat as we stand all over the building and just get in the altar and say, Lord, I, I want to get plugged in. I'm going to be preaching several messages over the next few weeks on getting plugged in, but right now, right now would be a good time for you to just say, Lord, if there's something I can do to take some, some of the load off of Pastor Shifflett's plate so that he can spend more time studying and praying, then that's what I'm willing to do. What a blessing it'd be if every member of Calvary Baptist Church was plugged in. Serving tables, checking on people, doing all the menial tasks that have to be done during the week for the church to operate. I take a lot of the blame. I've not done my fair share of training and delegating, but I'm going to try to do better. If I've got some people to delegate to, I'll do better. Not just staff members, but everybody. I'd love, to, I'd love to see our church go from the addition stage to the multiplication stage. And I really believe that this might be the secret. Me doing my job better, and you doing your job better, can only bring positive results 